0: Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Um, So as Jared says, we've been doing a three-part series and tonight is the final part. And I'm just going to summarise the last two weeks really quick because probably half the people in this room have not been here for the last two weeks. But also for those who have been here for the last two, two weeks, I really want to encourage you that wisdom is not thinking, have I heard this before? Wisdom is not thinking, do I understand this? But wisdom is knowing, am I living this? Am I actually applying this truth? So as I share, I encourage you to consider, am I actually living this truth? And if it's not truth, that's another question. But what I'm sharing on comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, as I ran through that chapter, that verse, that chapter, uh, I broke it, I saw that I could break it down into four different parts. And so the first part of chapter 13 speaks about the love of God and how important it is. And, And Paul, who's writing that letter, says there is nothing in this life that is of any value if it's not welded to love. That no matter what you possess, no matter what you own, no matter what you do in this life, it will be of no value if it's not welded to the love of Christ. And then he goes on to describe what love is in the second part, and most of us know that part, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, and then Paul begins to describe about uh, a lot of temporal and partial realities, he says, for now we prophesy in part, but now we know in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will be done away with, and then he finally closes off that chapter by saying, but now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And now that for me, for so long, that was a real random part that pulled through in there about prophecies and partial knowledge and completeness coming. But then it all made sense to me when I realised he said that the whole chapter is about love and he took that time to talk about all the temporal and partial realities because he wanted to contrast the partial and temporal realities of this earth with the Ongoing, everlasting, eternal realities of faith, hope, and love. But these three remain. That word remain means that it will not change, it will not disappear, it will not perish, it will always be present and it will always be available. And that's important because Jesus said in Matthew 6:10 that we are to pray that it will be on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's our responsibility anytime we recognize something that is in heaven right now, there is a responsibility and a privilege that we have to partner with that heavenly reality and bring it to earth. And when Paul says that these three remain, they remain once completeness comes back. That completeness is Jesus. And when Jesus comes back and we go to heaven, we're going to experience the same substance of love, faith and hope that we have available here now. And so it's our responsibility to understand what that looks like and how to release it in the world around us. And so last week, we, or two weeks ago, sorry, we spoke about faith. And faith that I believe Paul was describing in chapter 13, verse 13, I believe that faith is defined by faith in God. Now, lots of people have lots of different faith in different gods, but the God I believe that Paul was speaking about is Jesus Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And that when we partner with faith in God, when we partner with the substance of heaven, does anyone remember the line? Our Michaela? Our lives are redeemed and our stories are rewritten. And I shared the example of Catherine when she was around 19 as a young woman. One of her friends passed away from leukemia and it really rattled her life and the lives of those around her because they all of a sudden realised how temporary and partial this life is. They realised how temporary her life was. And so she made a decision that she wanted to live for something greater than the, the temporal reality. She wanted to serve Jesus with her whole life and she wanted to influence eternity and so her life was re- was redeemed and her story was rewritten. And every person in this room is a part of her story because of that. And then I shared my example. Of, for me, I was 21, didn't know the Lord, didn't understand what a relationship with God is, had a very small understanding of what Christianity was. I remember the first time I read the Gospels, I was like, hang on, what, why are they repeating themselves? And then I found out there's four of them. And then it finished and Jesus didn't kick butt. And I was like, why didn't he come back and kick butt? And then I realised that's our job. But, but for me, I had very limited understanding of what even Christianity was, but I got to the place where I, I put my faith in God. I partnered with the substance of faith and my life was redeemed and my story was rewritten. And we looked at the life of Sarah, Abraham's wife, and in Genesis 18 verse 12, she she laughed at God because she was living in such unbelief and doubt, that she had a promise over her life that she had given up on, that she would be a mother at a, and she was age 90 and she was living in unbelief and doubt, and I know there's many of us who can think of someone else, not ourselves, of course, who have had a promise over our lives, but we've come to a place of unbelief and doubt in the area. And that's who she was. That's what she was remembered for. That's what was recorded. But at the end of the Bible, in in Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the chapter of faith, Sarah is recorded in verse 11, saying, "By faith she was able to give birth to a child because she considered him faithful. She partnered with the substance of faith." Her life was redeemed, and her story has forever been rewritten. Faith, the substance. Of belief in God, and last week we spoke about hope. And hope, for me, is one of the most wildly audacious gifts that we have been given on this earth. That that for me, there's been few things that have transformed and impacted my life than not just the revelation, but the experience of walking out a life of hope. That for me, and I know for so many other people, hope used to just be a good luck charm or a positive word to throw into a sentence to make someone feel better about their day. But but I went on a journey of understanding the reality of hope, that that in understanding the supernatural creative force that true biblical hope is. It is the ability to turn nothing. Into something. It is the ability to turn something of no value into something of high value. Hope generates and creates new realities in the lives of people all around the world, and it has the ability to do the same for you. And hope, just like faith and love, is a substance. It is tangible. You can partner with it. And Jesus said in Matthew, in in John chapter 6, verse 63, My words are spirit and they are life. This is while he's teaching his disciples. And what he's saying is what I'm actually releasing right now isn't just words but it's a tangible reality it's a substance that you can partner with and that substance we, is called heaven and we get to release that as ambassadors of heaven and as we do that we can invite people into that experience into that reality and so we all know what it's like to to know someone who's really upset because they're hungry and then they eat and there's peace. So we know that when we eat food, it affects us physically, emotionally, and some of us even spiritually. But it's the same with hope, it's the same with faith, and it's the same with love. They're all substances. And every person in this room will know what it's like to be severely disappointed or discouraged because you asked someone out and they said no or you try, I wanted to hang out with a friend and it was the fourth person you asked in the last month and they had something else come up at the last minute. You know what it's like to apply for a job you'd really like and not get it or have some, find out someone's talking behind your back and you just feel real discouraged, you feel real down about yourself, you feel really average, you feel really hopeless and then someone gives you a call and says, hey man, do you want to hang out? or maybe someone offers to pray for you or prophesy over you or maybe you decide to come to church although you're feeling down and discouraged and you lift your hands in worship and you can feel a shift begin to take place as hope begins to enter your body. Hope is a substance that affects you physically, spiritually and emotionally. Hope is a substance that we can partner with. And the hope we spoke about um, was unashamedly found in the person of Jesus. And, and that's important because we really, like Jesus taught, that we need to build our lives on the rock, on the person of Jesus. And, and that's important because you'll build your life on what you have the most hope in. And so if you have the most hope in your financial situation, that can go really good for you. But if your finances got, fall out from underneath you, so is your relationship with God. So is your relationship with those around you. If your hope is in the relationship you're in, If that's what you're basing your life on, then if that relationship falls over, so will you. You'll build your life on whatever you have the most hope in. And I asked the question last week, if every circumstance in your life blew in the opposite direction to what you had hoped, if finances didn't go well, if health didn't go well, if relationship didn't go well, would you walk away from Jesus? Would you walk away from your relationship with God? Because the answer to that will expose where you are placing your hope. It's okay to feel the wind, but, but, is your hope, but is your hope built on the sand or the rock? So, um, and last of all, we just highlighted that no one ever conquered a life challenge without first obtaining the hope to do so. That no one ever conquered a life challenge. No one ever achieved a dream they'd wanted. No one had ever even uh, achieved a job they wanted, a relationship they wanted, without first possessing the hope to do so. And lastly, hope gives you the eyes to see and the desire to pursue the new scenario, the new possibility. That if you feel like you've stuffed up your friendship, your relationship, your marriage, your life, your body, your career, career, that hope has the ability to birth a brand new thing in you and there is no greater application of hope than becoming born again, brand new in Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Him, they are a new creation. The substance of faith is faith in God. It redeems your your life and rewrites your story. The substance of hope is new creation. It gives you eyes to see and a desire to pursue the new option, the new possibility, the new dream. But what is the substance of love that Paul is talking about? Sorry. What is the substance of love Paul is talking about? What did the Holy Spirit reveal to Paul that made him say that that even though hope and love are so hope and faith is so important that these things are actually not as much as love. Like what, what revelation did the Holy Spirit reveal to Paul that made him say that it doesn't matter what you take hold of in this lifetime, if you do not take hold of love, it is worth nothing. I believe um, it is my personal conviction that the love Paul was speaking about was was actually the person of Jesus. That when Paul is illustrating that there's one thing that you cannot do this life without, that there's nothing in this life that's going to be of any value to you if you do not have this one thing. And he's speaking about love. I believe he's actually speaking about the person of Jesus. And when we make an intentional decision to partner with the substance of hope, we're not taking hold of a tool or something of heaven that we get to use, but we're actually taking hold of Jesus' hand, that we're actually partnering with a person. We're partnering with the person of Jesus. I believe that love is Jesus. That's why Paul stressed that you can have everything, but without this one thing, you have nothing. And then the next part in the verse, he describes what love looks like. And does anyone remember those uh, famous bracelets called with JD on them? What would Jesus do? Well, I actually think that Paul actually listed what Jesus would do. And it says, uh, if Matt, you wanna chuck it on the screen, I actually think it, it can be read that Jesus is patient, that Jesus is kind, That he does not envy, that he he does not boast, he is not proud, he does not dishonor others. That he is not self-seeking, he is not easily angered, he keeps no records of wrong. He does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails because Jesus is love. The greatest is love. The greatest substance is the substance of the person Jesus. And when you encounter this love that Paul is speaking about, you encounter the person Jesus. My dad grew up uh, in a very unhealthy home, abusive, neglectful, and a, as a young teenager he was removed from the house. And uh, he carried on his later teenage years drinking and, and going in that direction. And then when he was in his early 20s, he found himself in America working as an electrician. And he didn't have any Christians in his family. um, But he was on a building site and an electrician, an American electrician, proceeded to share the gospel with him. And over that period of time, he began to realise that there was some substance to this gospel, something to this person, Jesus, that this guy was sharing about. And so he went home one night and he got on his knees beside the bed and he prayed that God would enter his heart. And he said in that moment, he experienced a love that he had never experienced before in his entire life. And, and that wasn't just love he experienced, that was the person Jesus entering his heart and entering his life, and he has never looked back ever again. That love is the person, person of Jesus. The substance of love Paul wrote about is the person of Jesus. It's not self-orientated, uh, irresponsible, hippie love. It's not, it's not husband leaving his wife for another woman sort of love. But because both those loves are self-orientated, they are selfish. And in James chapter 3, verse 16 says, wherever there is selfishness, there will be disorder and every kind of evil practice. That if love is selfish, it is not Jesus. And if it's not Jesus, it's not love. Because the love that Paul was speaking about is selfless love, not selfish. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be selfish, but to be selfless. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And this is one of the most powerful verses for me. You can drop that. This is one of the most powerful verses for me. That, that, that This is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But for, for m- most of my life and for a lot of people, I believe that we don't actually engage with this verse too much because it's a bit intense, like laying down your life. And just something, I know this might be a bit awkward, but I just really felt to address it because uh, suicide is something we deal with, uh, but suicide isn't laying down your life for someone, it's taking your life. That suicide is one of the most demonic expressions on this earth and it is a selfish act where it's all about you. It's taking your life, it's not laying it down. And so what Jesus is speaking about here, that he laid down his life for us, that he didn't take it, he gave it up willingly for someone else. It wasn't a selfish transaction. But few people will ever get that opportunity, really. Few people will ever get that opportunity to genuinely lay down your life for someone. So then, what do you do with this verse? How do you apply this verse? Well, it says, uh, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He did not come to be served, but to serve. To lay down your life for someone is to serve them. To lay down your life for someone is to serve them. I believe this is the expression of the love that Paul was describing in 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen to selflessly serve those around you. You cannot take hold of Jesus' hand. You cannot be encountering the person of love and not serve those around you. But as you do, your heart will automatically begin to open up to those around you. Compassion will well up and you will begin to serve those around you. I want to read you a wee definition. I was listening to the radio a few years back when I was working as an electrician, and uh, it was Valentine's Day, and they said, hey, what's your definition of love? Flick us in a text. And so I flicked in a text, and they read it, and I was pretty chuffed. But um, uh, it said, um, love is an intentional transaction, decreasing who you are in order to raise another up. The greatest thing you can give is your life. This is why Jesus is love, because he gave his life for all of humanity. They read that, more of him. And maybe it was Simon, I can't remember. But um, love is an intentional transaction. Love is intentional, always has been and always will be. If you were to find yourself fainting, get lightheaded, you sort of like pass out. And then you find yourself waking up and you're in hospital and the doctor's like, hey, you've actually been out of it for two days. You had a degenerative heart condition and uh, someone in Timaru actually had a crash the day you passed out and they were a donor and you got their heart. And so there's actually a new heart in you. You'd be like feeling a lot of feels, you know, I don't know what you'd feel. You might feel love from God, but you probably wouldn't feel real loved from that poor, unfortunate man in Timaru, would you? You'd be like, that's a bit weird having someone else's heart in me. But then you imagine another situation, you find yourself lightheaded, faint, pass out, wake up in hospital, doctor says to you, hey, you've been in here a day, you have a degenerative heart problem and you've, got out, you've got, probably got hours to live. If you're alive in 24 hours, we would be very shocked. And he said, but we have lined up a donor. There is a donor who's willing to give you their heart, but it's up to you if you're willing to accept it. And it's your sister, your brother, your father, your son, your daughter, a friend, someone who is willing to give you their heart and lay down their, their life for you. It's the exact same transaction. One is intentional, one is not. One, Jesus walks in the room. One of those transactions, Jesus walks into the room and love is present because love is intentional. It's an intentional transaction, decreasing who you are. If it doesn't cost you, it's not love. If it doesn't cost you, it's not love. You can steward someone else's resources well and distribute them well, but if it doesn't actually cost you, it's not love. You can claim stewardship, that's cool, but until it actually costs you something, it's not love. Love is an intentional transaction, decreasing who you are in order to raise another person up. Uh, it's really important to realise that, that we're actually aiming to connect with people and for them to actually feel love, not just to intentionally try love people. Like we're not aiming for love intentions, we're aiming for love connections. And so if you're not getting it right with your friend, your mum, your sister, your wife, a friend you really like, then change, then grow, then learn. You're not aiming for good intentions, we're aiming for people to experience the love of Jesus, for intentional decrease and intentional increase in their life. Love is an intentional transaction, decreasing who you are in order to raise another up and the greatest thing you can give is your life. It's easy to make a one-off heroic decision in a moment to lay down your life for someone. It's difficult to make that decision day after day after day for some uh, very... a human that makes mistakes, that annoys you, that frustrates you. It is difficult to do that 365 days a year, year after year, but that is what love looks like, to lay down your life day after day and say, I choose you and I will serve you because in that moment Jesus manifests himself. Love is an intentional transaction, decreasing who you are in order to raise another up. The greatest thing you can give is your life. This is why Jesus is love, because he gave his life for all of humanity. Love is Jesus, and we manifest him in his love when we selflessly serve those around us. My question for you tonight is, who are you serving? Who are you serving? Is there someone you're serving in this world, other than yourself, and not just who do you think you're serving, but who are you actually sowing your time, your finances, your life into? Who are you actually laying down your life for, other than yourself? Who is experiencing Jesus through you? I'm just going to finish tonight, we're just going to run through that, um, that scripture four to eight, first Corinthians. And I'm just going to run through this because uh, Jesus taught us to to repent in Matthew four seventeen to change the way we think because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is very much uh, like our biggest challenge is to actually change what we see, change what we understand in order to partner with heavenly realities. And before us is a verse, not before us is a verse that um, is extremely well known. Like we've all read it a hundred times, but my question is how often do we apply it? Like do we even know how to apply it? And so I'm just going to run through it and you're just going to picture it in your mind. Um, So love is patient. Jesus is patience. And uh, a young adult, David Edwards, said to me one time, Jesus won't test your patience when you have five minutes to spare. Jesus won't test your patience when you have five minutes to spare because you can't manifest patience when you're not late. You can't manifest patience when you're not irritated or you're wanting to go. You can only manifest patience when impatience is present. You can only manifest patience. and, And patience is not the act of waiting. Patience is not the act of waiting, as some people think. That's self control. If you can hold yourself in a moment, that's self control. But patience is how you wait. And when, you, when, when you're when you wanting to get home, you've had a lot, late night out on a Sunday night, maybe at little high or wherever, or you're out for dinner with friends and the rugby's on, or you've got some event on that you really want to be at, but you're late and you really want to go and the last person's trying to pay, but they're having financial troubles and they're trying to change the bank account, but then the internet's running out and you just really want to go. But in that moment, you choose to stand there And in patience, you actually become Jesus in that moment. But you can only become Jesus and express patience when you're feeling impatient. And that's a real challenge for everyone here. Like I really encourage you to actually find a moment where you're actually really impatient. Like you're itchy, you want to go that's an opportunity to manifest Jesus. And when you go up to that person, when they're feeling that social pressure from everyone in the room, like, hurry up, man, we've got to go. Like, you were cool, but you're not cool in this moment. But when you walk up and you put your hand on their shoulder and say, it's okay, man, I'll wait with you. Like, you become Jesus in that moment. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is kind. Like if if you're only kind to people who are kind to you, you're probably not being kind to them. You're just reciprocating an emotion that unintentionally came up within you. But to be kind to someone, you actually have to bring that out from within you. And so, when someone's been really horrible to you, a boss, another workmate, uh, your, your spouse, your, your brother, your parents, when they've been cruel to you, when they've been mean to you, when they're saying names to you, but you choose to be like, hey, I'm actually not going to fire back. When someone takes a shot at you, you're like, oh man, that hurt. I, I, I still love you though. Like, I'm not going to shoot back. You can only manifest kindness from yourself when, when, when kindness is not present. Love does not envy. It does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. So love honors others. And, and you, know it's, you know it's coming from you, you know it's coming from within when you're honoring someone who doesn't have anything you value. When you're valuing someone who doesn't have anything you value, when a businessman in a $1,000 suit sits down beside a homeless man and shares his lunch with him, that's a picture of love and that's a picture of honour because he's choosing to honour someone who can't necessarily give him any value back. Love does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. Jesus came to serve and not be served. And if you want to know how you're doing with self-seeking or with selfishness, uh, ask yourself: How do you treat people who have nothing to add to your life? How do you treat people who have, for no maybe no social standing, no financial standing? They're not even enjoyable to be around. How do you treat them? In that moment, in that moment, you're going to find out how you're doing with the self-seeking. Because you can't draw from anything else other than yourself in that moment. You can only draw from the Holy Spirit that is in you to love that person. It's really easy to love people who give you money. And he give you high fives and tell you awesome. But it's really hard to love someone when they have nothing to give you. But when you love them in that moment, you are manifesting the love of Jesus. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I love this one because 1 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. But this is what I want you to hear that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. He has already forgiven you. The question is, have you accepted his forgiveness? Love keeps no record of wrongs. That means someone has to wrong you for you to keep no record of it. Someone has to wrong you for you to keep no record of it. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Do you know why love rejoices in the truth? Because when you experience truth, you step out of deception, and that's a really humbling moment to realise you've lived the last 24 years of your life in deception. You've actually been a really arrogant person. And so you have to learn to rejoice in that moment. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, there's no situation more hopeless than the hope that Jesus has provided for it because Jesus always hopes. Love always hopes. I'm, I'm, there's probably one thing I won't do in my life is get a tattoo, but if I do, it'll be love always hopes. Love always per- perseveres. Love never fails because Jesus is love. Faith in God redeems your life and rewrites your future, if the bank could come up. Hope in Jesus creates a new future, a gen and the greatest application of hope is becoming a new creation in Him. And love, the greatest of all, is the person of Jesus. And when you encounter His love, you begin a relationship because love is not a substance, it is a person. And I want to finish tonight by offering an invitation that if you're comfortable to just close your eyes in this room. I just want to offer an invitation. If you're here, and you you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you've never taken hold of the hand of Jesus, you've never experienced the love that is the Person of Jesus, that eternal acceptance for who He's made you to be, I want you to give you give you an opportunity to respond to that. So, if you're comfortable in here, and and you want to respond to that, you say, "I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I want to begin." that relationship, then I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in this moment. I'm gonna see it, I'm gonna bless it and you can put it back down. So if that's you in this place and you say, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, then I encourage you just to raise your hand. I'm gonna see it, I'm gonna bless it and you can put it back down. God bless you, I see that hand in the middle. Is there anyone else in this room? You say, man, you want to start this relationship. You want to experience this love, the same love that I experienced in that time of worship. It doesn't necessarily happen when you say the words, but when your heart encounters God, you know it. When those chains drop off, those expectations of the world around you, the friends your whole life that have peer pressured you into into becoming who you are, and they drop off, and all of a sudden you're free to be you, that's when you're encountering the love of Christ. Is there anyone else in this room who wants to respond to that? Just throw up your hand. I'm going to bless it, and you can put it back down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we're just going to pray with this one amazing individual. So if you're comfortable to just follow after me, we're just going to pray out because salvation is not an individual thing. It's a family. That when you become born again, you you, you become born again into a community. So if you're comfortable to pray this out, we just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I turn from my ways and everything I've been, And I turn to you and everything you are. I ask you to take all the bad from my life and all the selfishness from my life. And I ask that you've come fill me right now with your Holy Spirit and with your love that I might know what it is to feel your love and to be eternally accepted by my Creator. And we say this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we give them a round of applause?